Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now, please enjoy the program. Hi, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. It's Heart to Heart Friday, where Craig and I share some of the stories making headlines this week, and then we'll offer our insight and analysis. If you'd like to join in the conversation on what we're talking about, please call 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Now let's take a quick look back at some of the other topics we discussed this week. China looks at Iran as kind of a proxy force in going after what China regards as the main threat, which is the United States. So uh, China's view of Iran is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they've been they've been bolstering Iran with weapons. A lot of the Iranian weapons and technology is coming from China covertly. Uh, That's one thing the U.S. intelligence community hasn't publicly disclosed, and they should. Um, China would like nothing more than to see Iran go to uh, a full direct conflict with the United States, because it would further China's strategic effort to further weaken the United States. The court at the same time had a case from um, uh, another one from Colorado called 303 Creative which was a wedding website designer. Mm -hmm. And the court ruled in favor of the website designer, saying she didn't have to participate in same-sex weddings. And so the court, again, rules in the client's favor and says, nope, Oregon Court of Appeals, you you need to redo this yet again, not only in light of Masterpiece, but now also in light of 303 Creative. And so that's what we were doing last week, was we were back at the Oregon Court of Appeals, um, arguing to that court why the client's should win and why the court needs to protect their First Amendment rights after these nearly 10 years of of litigation. One out of every three 18 to 24 year olds has a diagnosable mental disorder. 
you can break it down into a number of different ones, you know, serious mental disorders, 11% of our young adults, any anxiety disorder, about one out of four of our young adults. We can look at alcohol and drug use disorders. That's almost three out of 10, 18 to 24 year olds. And there are others here, depressive episodes, suicidal thoughts, all staggering statistics when you look at them. We have to look at the, the bigger picture. You know, we're only given at most 100 years on this planet. And, you know, if the, Job even says, you know, how can I be angry if God, I'm paraphrasing here, but that God mm. takes away what I have that's good when everything I have has been received from him. Right. So, you know, he, right, he understands it rightly. And, you know, Job's problem throughout the entire book, you know, 30-something chapters of <laughs> crying and complaining, you know, his problem is that he just doesn't understand the reasoning, but he doesn't ever question the goodness and character of God. Dr. Kenny argued, as, as we did too, that what good does it do to open the doors of opportunity if you don't have the means to walk through the door? If you have the right to eat in a restaurant of your choice and live in a neighborhood you're choosing and don't have the means to exercise that right, then just having right is an empty promise. And so it is important to focus on preparation for freedom. And, but, but the civil rights movement and those who support affirmative action uh, were hostile to this notion. Uh, and, and instead, what they, they said is rather than establishing the means for people to compete, what they said in, in a very demeaning way that we should demand equity. Unfortunately, we have some friends that sit, serve in the Arab Gulf area, and actually some of the videos that have been shown in those countries superimposed. They can do things with this this uh, technology called fake out or deep fake, I think, mm -hmm. and they put Palestinian faces on the murdered babies. Mm. And, uh, and I mean, and they were talking to some of our friends, uh, Americans, that. And they were they were saying, isn't this horrible what the Jews have done? It's terrible. It was just merely taking the news, switching the faces and blaming it on Israel, which that sells in the Middle East. It's Heart to Heart Friday. Here are some of the other stories making headlines this week. Brazil's federal police loaded up bags of seized items from Jair Bolsonaro's Liberal Party headquarters on Thursday. L'Oreal shares fell as much as 7.5% before scaling back on Friday. Nissan shares plunged over 11% in morning trade Friday, wiping around $1.8 billion off its market value. North Korea is ending all economic cooperation agreements with South Korea, including a special law on the operation of the Mount Kumgang Tourism Project. It's Heart to Heart Friday on In the Market with Janet Parshall. Craig and I have lots to share, and we'll put the first story on the table when we return. To join the conversation on the topics we're discussing, call 877-548-3675. That's work tends to follow a specific circular pattern in every season of life. When we understand his pattern, we gain perspective on his hand in our life. That's why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. Find clarity for your unique mission and message. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. 
Happy Friday to you, friends. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. And I would like you to encourage you to get the book Connecting the Dots. That is this month's truth tool. It really helps you when you're in that state of confusion, when you think when it comes to God's will, I'm just walking in circles. I can't make a sense out of what's happening in my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. And this book will wonderfully remind you that God is always at work in your life, even if you can't make sense of what's going on in your life. So it is about connecting those dots. And I don't know a believer out there who can't be encouraged by being reminded that God doesn't take a leave of absence. He doesn't go on a vacation and leave you to fend on your own. He will never leave us or forsake us. That's the promise of the word. And so sometimes we just need to be reminded on our Pilgrim's Progress that we're not walking in circles. So if you call 877-JANET-58 and give a gift of any amount, I'm going to say thank you for supporting this program because we are financially supported. We're on the air because you give. Stop giving. The program's not on the air. It's just simple math. So I want to encourage you to give a gift of any amount. And then my way of saying thank you is putting a book in your life that will mature your walk with the Lord. So 877-JANET-58, 877-JANET-58, or you can give online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click it on, and then you can give right through the picture. A gift of any amount will send it to you. Just below that is a descriptor of people who give every month. They set their own level of giving. We call them partial partners. They always get that month's truth tool, but then in addition to that, they get a newsletter as well. So in the market with JanetPartial.org or 877-JANET58. If you make a financial gift to this program, our way of saying thank you will be to give you a copy of Connecting the Dots. So Mr. Craig Parshall is with me, and I'm so glad he is. I just love spending time with him because he's been a teacher in my life, and I thank God regularly that he really and truly has the gift of wisdom. He's brilliant legally. He's been working on multiple briefs that are going to be filed before the highest court in the land, and uh, I still, after lo these decades of marriage, stand in amazement of how he has a knowledge of the law that's so wide and deep and broad and good and true, and that same knowledge to the law is applied to his knowledge of the word. He has approached the word of God with that same ferocious appetite as he does American jurisprudence. And I am the beneficiary in both of those two areas. So I'm glad he comes on Fridays because we tackle oftentimes some pretty tough and sometimes cerebral topics. And that's what's going to happen this hour. So I just want to offer a couple of opening remarks. In case you've just arrived here from the planet Voltron, this is what we call an election year. Now, I'm coming to you from the nation's capital where we are immersed in this topic all the time because there is this synergy between public policy and politics. Politics is about getting the people in the office who then promote the public policy. So you can't have the public policy without people. And that's why we often say that people are ideas and people are policy in this town because you elect whom you want to send to this town. And then in turn, these individuals begin to draft and create through a wonderfully vetted process that's been serving us for almost 250 years. Through the process, then public policy is made into law. Well, we are in an interesting state in American history where there's marked animus There's lawlessness. There's disrespect. We are graceless so often in our treatment of one another. And I'm so thankful that we had a conversation earlier this week with Dr. Linda Mintel about hurtful words because all the social science data out there, remember, Linda teaches behavioral sciences. So now we've got stuff about the brain and how the brain reacts to hurtful words. And we have a gravitation, apparently scientists tell us now, toward negative rather than positive. Well, we have that in abundance. So... (coughs) I want to talk a little bit about the political system without being political. Does that make sense? Because let me just say, and I'm speaking with his permission on behalf of Craig and myself, 
we would never, ever, ever tell you to vote who to vote for. Ever, ever, ever. That is as sacrosanct and as private as anything. When you step into that voting booth, it would be our fervent prayer, number one, that you've prayed up and you've studied up before you cast that vote. It is a privilege, it is a right, and it is a responsibility. And it didn't come at a cheap cost, by the way. There are people who gave their very lives for us to be able to have the right to be able to vote. So it is a precious right. However, we will say unashamedly that you do need to vote. And that's as far as we go. You'll have to do your own homework. But uh, we're going to talk about something where where I'm concerned because I think Christians in particular are being played. Do you know what that expression means? When someone says you've been played, it means that you've been deceived or manipulated in some way. And it could refer to someone tricking you in a game or a competition, or it could be a more serious situation where someone has lied to you or taken advantage of you. And I think some, I think Christians right now in this election season season are being played. And I'm very concerned about that. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that's floating around that if you just, just get little bits of it, <coughs> excuse me, you're going to be led astray. If you don't have a straight stick of truth to measure some crooked ideas, you will be taken captive through vain and hollow philosophies. And so we want to talk about some of the things that are out there that are great manipulative tools. You decide for yourself whether you want to be a participant in some of these tools or not. But I think Craig and I bear a responsibility to really elucidate some of the manipulation that is going out there in a political year. So let me start, if I can, with a documentary that Rob Reiner has made called God and country. Now, let me tell you who Rob Reiner is. If you're a person of a certain age, he was Meathead on a film or a sitcom that was very popular, All in the Family, uh, that was put together by Norman Lear. Norman Lear and Rob Reiner's dad, Carl Reiner, were very, very best friends. Norman Lear just died at the age of 101. But Norman Lear, like all of us, had a worldview. And so in 1981, Norman Lear, when he wasn't doing all of these TV shows, Maud and All in the Family and all of the spinoffs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, was very much focusing in on a particular issue with which he took animus. And that was he did not like to see what he thought was the rise of what he called, quote, the religious right and the agenda of the moral majority. So in 1981, Norman Lear, a self-described liberal, founded something called People for the American Way. And it was founded specifically in opposition to work against the moral majority. The moral majority was made up of people like Dr. Jerry Falwell and Dr. Tim LaHaye and a lot of great pastors who just decided that, like Augustine, we understood that we were citizens of heaven, and that's what Augustine writes about in the city of God, but we also lived in the city of man temporally, and that scripture gives us directives to seek the welfare of the city, that when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, when the wicked rule, the people groan, and that uh, we should be participants, that government was never our God, ever. And I think that's supercilious, manipulative thinking if someone thinks that we as believers have ever subscribed to that. We understand that there is no king but King Jesus. And we also believe that temporal governments are God's instituted way of trying to protect people and to keep them from evil. And Craig, you can feel free to jump in anytime you want to, but the Bible talks about the responsibility of government basically is to protect people from evil. Uh, And so when citizens get involved, Christian citizens get involved and they vote, 
They're doing it out of obedience. Now, again, the Bible doesn't tell you who to vote for. That's where you're going to have to do your homework and you're going to have to be very prayed up. But this organization by Norman Lear was founded specifically to stop what he thought was the ascendancy of the Christian right. Because as the saying once goes, Christians by themselves are never a threat to people with an opposing worldview. But when Christians get organized, particularly in the church, they become a threat. It's why in countries where there is no religious liberty, what do they do? They disband the church immediately. They sometimes will turn a blind eye toward an individual Christian. But if you ever decide to gather together, assemble together, you become a threat. So back to where does this all go? It goes back to Rob Reiner. Again, his dad's best friend was Norman Lear. Rob Reiner, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, shares his dad's worldview. Only this time the iteration for Rob Rob Reiner uh, is not the moral majority. It is Christian nationalism. So he's put out a documentary. So I want to talk about that in a minute because, again, he's releasing this, shock and awe, just in time for an election to scare people, to mete out misinformation, and to disband what he thinks is this hyper-organization, wouldn't he be surprised, among Christians. So we're going to tell you about this when we return. So Rob Reiner, son of Carl Reiner, best friend of Norman Lear, founder of People for the American Way, is putting out a documentary just in time for an election year to try to offer his influence in the marketplace of ideas called God and Country. And it's about the rising threat of Christian nationalism. I'm going to table the whole conversation about Christian nationalism for a moment. But I want you to hear uh, some of the people that he's putting in this documentary. They are avowed never Trumpers. You should know that right out of the gate. And number two, he calls some of the people who participate as um, conservative Christians. And I think you need to understand that because we have, as a, a Berean, we're going to test all things. So uh, this is Rob Reiner. By the way, thanks where thanks is due. I want to thank Protestia, who's done some excellent work on the background of all of this. So this is Rob Reiner talking about his documentary and including is a woman by the name of Anthea Butler. I'll tell you about her in a moment. Have a listen. You shouldn't listen to a couple of Hollywood liberals. But what yeah. you should do is when you watch the film, listen to the people who you respect and trust and have been devout Christians their whole lives and some of them very conservative, yeah. listen to what they have to say. What happens to the people who don't believe this stuff? The thing that keeps me up at night is that we lose democracy. Does that seem possible? Yes. I mean, it's hard to even talk about people to talk to people about how the Bible is constructed because they think it is a supernatural kind of thing. And I'm like, well, did this comes about through many centuries and the ways in which people pick certain books to be in the canon of the Bible and others that are not. The Bible 
is 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 not this all thing for everything you know you have to think about how you think about the bible some people think about the bible as the exact word of god inerrant and infallible it, it is right for every rule of life but most of the world didn't live like that most of the world is not even christian they're you know hindu or they're buddhist or they something else or they're practicing something well, they're else. all going to hell dr uh, butler well, well you know i don't uh, yeah you know well i you know that's what people think because it says it in the bible but where does it say that where does it tell this? And they're going to all call me up and go, well, it said, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes through that but me, right? And I'm like, but when did Jesus live? So this is, these are the questions that hurt people because I'm asking them to think broader and deeper. I want to make it clear here that I am not a theologian. This is not what I do for a living. What I do for a living, though, is to think about the ways in which religion affects people historically and in the present day. And especially with Christianity, what you find is that you have Christians over and over again who say, I want to live this way. I want to not have sex before I get married. I don't want to be gay. I don't want to be this and I want to be that. And then they end up messing up. It causes a lot of grief and pain to their lives. A lot of churches end up kicking them out. And what I'm asking you to ask yourself is, where does this come from? Why are these rules here? How are these rules used to, you know, say this is okay for some people, but it's not okay for others, right? And so that's what I'm trying to get you to see in the context of America right now, where we have evangelicals who tell us, you know, trans kids are horrible. We don't want them exercising. We don't want them doing this kind of stuff. We don't want you to get an abortion. So this is Anthea Butler. She happens to be professor of religion and chair of the University of Pennsylvania Department of Religious Studies. Now, this is one of the, quote, committed Christians that Rob Reiner, among others, and the others um, are names I'm not going to name, but they are well-known never-Trumpers. So you begin to see the political drift of this particular media piece that uh, Rob Reiner has put together. But I, I, I want to delineate out what she said. I, I, I Wow, I, I just hardly know where to begin. So when did Jesus live? I'm sorry, how is that prescient to the principles of Scripture, that because Jesus died in approximately 33 AD, what he has to say is meaningless? You know, it's interesting. You and I have been studying Alexander the Great, who lived in the same time period of Darius, who's mentioned in the book of Daniel, by the way. And uh, there are people who are so anxious because they're doing an archaeological dig in Alexandria that they hope to find because he was a, quote, God among men. And so they're still quoting Alexander today. He lived in 300 B.C., so he has relevance, but Jesus, who died around 33 A.D., does not? Yeah, I, you and I have heard a number of clips from this so-called documentary, and it really isn't a documentary. Uh, it's a mockumentary, a mocking, uh, basically, those who take the Word of God, the Bible, Scripture, seriously, and really believe that it is a disciplined study that we need to uh, start with the presumption that this is what God has told us, um, and the burden of proof is on them to, to indicate that it doesn't say what they say it doesn't say. So I, I see two major errors once again. And by the way, I've tracked this by, and I added up the years. I think it's been more than 20 years uh, that I've been tracking this. Every national election cycle in those more than 20 years that I've been following it and documenting it, uh, the mainstream press, Hollywood, and some of the uh, liberal institutions, including academ um, a number of academic institutions, come out in the election year with an attack on who they believe are the enemy to, quote, democracy. And it has been over the last couple of decades that I've been 
following it. It's been the so-called conservative church, which which they really mean what had been called evangelicals. Now evangelicalism has been so watered down and distorted that it's difficult to be able to say uh, with any seriousness, you know, what an evangelical is anymore. I simply say a, a follower of Jesus who believes seriously in the inerrancy and in the uh, inspiration of Scripture as the starting point. There are two errors here that we can talk about. Number one, ignorance of the Scriptures. Number two, ignorance of the history of the Christian Church. We'll cover both of those when we return. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. Craig Parshall is with me. I guess if we were going to title this, we'd say the name of this hour's conversation is You've Been Played. And we're going to teach you how to figure out how to get out of this game back after this. As a Christian, how do you digest the cultural issues of our day? At In the Market, we believe that understanding happens when we bring biblical truth to expose the darkness in our world. That's what we do every day on In the Market. May I ask you to join us? When you become a partial partner, your monthly gift ensures this daily program continues. Become a partial partner today by calling 877-JANET58 or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. The conversations that people have that are trying to convince people to think, oh, we should accept gays into the church and everything else. Why stay where you were being hurt? Leave. Anybody who's listening right now who is gay and has been going through struggles in the church or whatever, walk off and leave them, folks. Don't stay there. If you are being persecuted where you are, why are you staying? Shake the dust off your feet. The black mm. church has a problem with homophobia. The black church needs to get over it because they know they would never be able to feel the choir they would never have any programs in their church or anything. But that, but even more than that, it's not just about that. It's about the acceptance of people when we have been through so much that you want to use sexuality as a way to define whether God loves somebody or not. That's not your call. It's not your call. What has happened is that we have inculcated this white evangelical ideas about sexuality and purity and everything else that makes us bound up, that keeps us in chains and keeps us from realizing the fullness of potential of ourselves and each other when we begin to think about all the things that God could do for us. And Thea Butler, professor of religion and chair of the University of Pennsylvania Department of Religious Studies, and one of the, quote, conservative Christians, at least according to Rob Reiner, who's made a new documentary just in time to influence the election in any way he can, called God and Country, his concern about the rise of, quote, Christian nationalism. We'll unpack that later. But again, lay down the straight stick of truth and listen to that. And I'm I'm sorry, but I think a case would be tough to make that somehow those are the espousings of a conservative Bible-believing Christian um, obviously, she has a particular worldview, and it fit perfectly into Rob Reiner's documentary because he's trying to make a political statement through what Greg rightly called a mockumentary. But in order for you to understand that you've been played, you need to understand this is not a conservative Christian that's talking. Now, again, throughout this documentary are also some recognizable names that have a long history of being never Trumpers. Again, 
they've been played. Craig, you say that there's a problem here with ignorance, ignorance of the scripture and ignorance of church history. Yeah. First of all, uh, ignorance of the of scripture. Why is, do you take it seriously? Well, because the God is uh, because God's word is the best interpreter and advocate for his word in the beginning. In the beginning, we know that God created the world and the universe and all that is in it. We know it because his word says it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God at the beginning of the New Testament and the Gospel of John, the same thing. If you read contextually, beginning to end, and that's one of the problems. I don't know whether or not these seminaries are teaching systematic theology or not. They should, but they apparently aren't, or at least not rigorously, because the, uh, the Bible is a tapestry of common themes weaving itself from beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation. But Ignorance of Scripture is so obvious, Janet, that it's written for the simple, be able to understand the wisdom of God. As an example, you turn to Romans 13, Paul makes it crystal clear what God's plan for government is. It's to promote good and restrain evil. The Apostle Peter, writing separately in his first epistle, chapter 2, says pretty much the same thing. Suppress evil and promote good. That's the role of government. Now, if we are called to do, quote, good works, how can we not in a constitutional republic, which God has providentially given us, which means we can influence our government? Not every government in history. In fact, the vast majority have not had that privilege. God has blessed this nation in giving us access uh, legally, constitutionally, and in, in our civic in- engagement to influence government. Not to control it, not to create a theocracy, but to influence it. Romans 13, 1 Peter, very clear on what the role is. And if our uh, influence is for the good and we see something that is harmful to our community and we promote it in our city council or we go to Congress or we go to our state house or we write out to our legislator and say, look, I think this is harmful. I think some of these woke policies are absolutely damaging to families and children and communities. I think that's our role as a church, and how dare they defame the church for simply doing that, particularly. And my gripe, Janet, is not with the Hollywood elite. It really isn't. It's with those who say they are leaders of the church, they call themselves disciples of Christ, and yet they malign, distort, and uh, frankly, destroy the integrity of God's word. You know, if you look at the way Jesus interacted both with Pilate who was condemning him to death unfairly in violation of Roman law, and Jesus' attitude toward the Pharisees, he had much harsher condemnation of the Pharisees than he did of the government leader. Woe to those who are leading people astray. Paul had very clear admonitions in the book of Acts about those who work their way into the church and use their influence in the church or outside the church as supposed sheep among the sheep, and in fact, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And I think that's what you're seeing now. And it's not new. I told you I've seen this every election cycle for political purposes to intimidate followers of Christ in, well, I better not speak my opinions. I'll be chastised. I'll be called a right-wing nut, uh, a conspiratorialist. Well, get used to having thick skin because it's increasing. Those kind of attacks are increasing. So God's word has been ignored. If you look at church history, Janet, you talked about Augustine. I remember a couple decades ago, the first time I actually started wading through Augustine's City of God, and I made my th- way, it's like two-thirds, three-fourths of it, 
And then I hit this part where he says, uh, this was back, uh, you know, around the 400s AD, where he said, uh, and he, he cited Jeremiah 29. And I thought, I'm going to look it up. Jeremiah 29, God's prophetic word to the people who were being oppressed in a pagan society, he said, seek the welfare of the city where you are, because in its welfare will be yours and pray, pray for it. Pray and seek the welfare. So if we don't seek the welfare of this crumbling society, this crumbling nation, then I think we are being disobedient and we're also being unbiblical. So uh, first of all, I take umbrage with people who try to box Christians into concrete linear thinking, either or thinkings, right? So either you are a committed Christian called to um, share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you are in whatever sphere of influence you have on the ground that is the mission field between your two feet, or you can be patriotic and support your country. But if you dare to be both, that's right. then you're a Christian nationalist. Now, that's sloppy, straw man argument. And that's thinking. so astute. That is such an important point. We need to emphasize that again. It's not an either or. And that's one of the uh, points that's being used in popular discourse online and from the major media and from those that are putting together these uh, pro, you know, these uh, in, in the light of the coming election type documentaries to try to influence people out there who followers of Christ are going, well, I don't want to be part of those people. So I'd better, you know, I'd either not vote or I better vote the other way right. because I don't want to be called whatever they happen to be called. In this, this cycle, it happens to be the Christian nationalist. Okay. I've heard labels before. Exactly. So this is the, this is the name du jour. Du jour. This right. is the pejorative yep. du jour, this election cycle. So let's take up the flashlight of God's word and let's look at this. First of all, we do nothing to hasten the return of Jesus Christ. No man knows the hour of the day, not That's even right. the father. So if you think in your own being and through your own choices, you are personally hastening the return of the Lord, you're a fool in the proverbial sense. And there is a strain out there. It is marginal. I do not think it is big at all. Rob Reiner thinks it's the definer of evangelicalism in America today. But it is a strata that's in the layers of, of Christianity in the country today that somehow think that dominion theology means you're going to bring Jesus back. Right. First of all, the hubris and the arrogance and the stupidity of that. It's bad Bible. It, it's awful. It's right. just sloppy Bible. So scratch that. Number two, are there people who think that somehow they are... A Christian nationalists because they believe in a supremacy because the color God wanted to paint them. That's called the Klan. And any Bible-believing Christian who doesn't absolutely publicly declare that that is anathema, that that's a hellish agenda, that that has nothing to do with biblical Christianity, is not being, A, a good Berean, and B, is not exposing the deeds of evil. Remember the book of Acts, and you and I love that book. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's being followed by charlatans. Paul's be, be preaching the gospel. He's be, he suddenly realizes he's being followed by charlatans that are calling to the people, you know, and basically saying, yeah, we're part of this bandwagon here led by Paul, but we've got our own thing going on. And he turns around and condemns them. Right. And he basically denounces the, the heresy and the 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 technique they're using to try to be hangers on to the real message for their own purposes. And we could mention a number of other episodes in scripture where that happens. But hangers on 
shouldn't be the shouldn't be the definer of what the church of Jesus Christ is but those who want to crush the influence of Christians who f- are followers of Christ and believers in scripture will use the fringe uh those hangers on who who are not adherent to a, a proper interpretation of scripture and they'll use them as a blow up doll basically of what Christianity is supposed to look like it isn't. It's a, a disparagement that ought to be condemned because it's dishonest journalism, if journalism is a word that we can actually use, and I don't think we can. So don't use a sliver of the Christian church at its worst to portray the church as most of it exists and has throughout history. We could talk about that in a couple of minutes. So if you don't want to see this film, again, that's your choice. You have the liberty, but as Brother Paul said, is it profitable? And I want to make sure you're not being played. And this is designed specifically to play you and to make other people fear Christians. Because when he was asked by Christian Yamapur on uh, CNN, what was the distinction between evangelical Christianity and Christian nationalism? Rob Reiner couldn't answer that question. And that pretty much says it all. But what happens when this comes to your church? Not at the movie theater, but it comes to your church. We'll talk about that when we return. So Rob Reiner's movie is based on a book called The Power Worshippers, written by Catherine Stewart, the subtitle Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. So that goes beyond even Christian nationalism. So he's very much an ardent supporter and fan of this particular book. But uh, in this book, apparently the point that Stewart tries to make is that, quote, America's religious right has evolved into a Christian nationalist movement. It seeks to gain political power and to impose its vision on all of society. It isn't fighting a culture war. It's waging a political war on the norms and institutions of American democracy. Now, that's so easy to unpack. It's ridiculous. So you show up as a mom at a school board meeting because they're going to put books about uh, being a homosexual and aberrant sexual postures and positions and appetites in the K through three section of the library. You as a parent show up, you're a Christian mm-hmm. nationalist. Yep. The administration calls <laughs> yes. you a domestic terrorist, but Rob right. Reiner and his ilk will call you now a Christian nationalist. So the idea is to beat you into silence with the cudgel of inflammatory words. Don't get played. That You need to understand that. So this is about, by the way, and, and they talk particularly about these are people who get involved in, quote, political issues like abortion and same-sex marriage. Well, maybe this is where we do stand a right to be criticized. Maybe we haven't done a good enough job of saying that abortion and pastors, we turn to you at this point. Maybe we've done a poor job in articulating the fact that abortion and the definition of marriage may put on the judge's robes and wear the suit of a legislator, but they are now and always have been biblical issues. And when a pastor will not teach from the pulpit about these biblical issues, he leaves then to the thought process of the sheep sitting in the pews that these are now political issues and therefore I should not be involved or I don't want to get involved because it's icky, messy, ugly politics. And so they stay away from it. So this takes me now to what's happening. There is a curricula that's being created that's being offered to churches called the after party curriculum. 
And it's the idea of trying to rediscuss the subject of politics and, you know, the divisiveness that's come to it. And there have been some people who've done some really good work on studying this. I give you Alyssa Childers. I give you Natasha Crane. And I give you Megan Basham, who's done a particularly important bit on this. She wrote a piece for First Things, and it's called Follow the Money to the After Party. And in her piece, she points out that um, according to research done by a man who wrote a book now that's being praised by NPR and the New York Times. That's your first hint. There's going to be some problems for the Bible believer. It's Tim Alberta's book called The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory. And this is his thesis is that we've abandoned theology for political idolatry. Again, the false process of either or, not being both and recognizing our temporal citizenship here, seeking the welfare of the city, that if you vote, that if you advocate for pro-life, if you stand up for marriage, if you don't want your kid to be turned trans at school, that somehow now you're a Christian nationalist and you're suffering from political idolatry. And you're a threat to democracy. That's exactly. The to. But Albert, Alberta, by the way, did some research on the after party. And apparently he found out, and again, the after party is done by three people, again, whose names I will not name, but they are all avowed anti-Trumpers. They are the same people who show up in Rob Reiner's documentary, God and Country. Are you connecting the dots here? So they show up in Rob Reiner's documentary. They are also the trio behind the after-party campaign. And as it turns out, apparently this group, this trio, had a hard time getting money from evangelical groups. So they turned, rather, where they got money, to predominantly progressive unbelievers. Well, it's more than that. As it turns out, they were secular left-wing foundations. So the funding for this curriculum that's coming to a church near you has been funded by left-wing foundations. Now, remember, this is about a gentler, kinder way in politics Mm -hmm. by never-Trumpers. Just remember, connect the dots. And as it turns out right now, apparently the Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors announced that the after party would be one of the 32 beneficiaries of their new pluralist project, which is investing 10 mil to, quote, address divisive forces. And where they're going to launch this, by the way, is in the state of Ohio, a, quote, battleground state. And none of the trio behind the after party live in Ohio. So you've been played. So this is about coming into the church by Never Trumpers, funded by secular, same three people that show up in the Rob Reiner documentary. So they're going to teach us how to have a better conversation. Now, I give you Alyssa Childers' podcast, and you can go back and you listen to a great conversation that she and Natasha Crane had about this. They've gone through jot and tittle the entire curriculum. And um, it, it is not neutral. It is not apolitical by any stretch of the imagination. So buyer beware. It's your choice. Pastor, you can decide if your small groups are going to bring in the after party or not. Mm-hmm. But I think it's absolutely essential that you test all things, you sift and weigh, and you understand this isn't coming in neutral. It's coming in as a Trojan horse. Yeah, when church leaders um, say, I'm not, or pastors, I, I'm not going to preach on these kind of political issues or applying the word to the world in that way, you create a vacuum and guess what happens? Nature abhors the vacuum. The world's values will come in and capture that. Let me let me take 60 seconds, Janet, uh, because I talked about the history of the church. I talked about Augustine. We're talking about the 400s now. Move forward to the reformers, J- John Calvin, um, Martin Luther, John Knox. Every one of them 
applied scripture to the social and moral issues of their day, denouncing things like uh, uh, books that were being read in school that were damaging, uh, denouncing prostitution, uh, uh, asking for or urging the creation of of kind of social benefits for, for peasants and starving people and providing food for those who were hungry. So they have applied those principles through the history. 1813, jumping hundreds of years later, 1813, John Adams, founder, writes to Thomas Jefferson, founder. He said, what were the principles that bound our people together to form this new nation? He said two things, two things, and it's right there in his letter. Number one, he said, the principles of civil liberty, both English civil liberty and American civil liberty. He said, number two, the principles of Christianity. Now, that was the founding, not of a so-called Christian nation with Christian uh, enforced laws, but the values found in Scripture are ancient and eternal and beneficial to the American people. So we should not refrain from pronouncing the things that are good that have their source in Scripture. So I, I think just simply stated, this is political manipulation designed to scatter people, scatter votes, and to scatter your thinking so that you won't show up because obviously, according to the proponents of these ideas, you're gathering to advance a particular political worldview. No, for a whole lot of us, we show up because it's the standard of righteousness that's declared in the Word of God. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. But you and I, having been in Washington for decades, define victory as showing up and declaring the truth. We leave the outcome to the Lord, and we remind ourselves regularly, this is not as good as it gets. Hope we gave you something to think about, friends. See you next time.